0: To read from the highly advanced mystic poet Darshan Singh in the book Spiritual Awakening, uh, chapter 29 Surrender. Hmm. Hmm? Else, maybe. Why? We're in reading in order. Hmm. Why? You like surrender. Yeah, in India there is a fruit known as the jaman, J-A-M-A-N. In India there is a fruit known as the jaman which is like a black grape in appearance. but whose taste has a tinge of tartness. I think I would like the jamon. In order to bring out its best flavor and give it a touch of sweetness, we have a process whereby we fill an earthenware pot halfway with the Jamans. We then add some salt cover the pot and shake it vigorously. When the pot is uncovered and the jamans are placed on a plate, we find some of them look the same as they did before the shaking. But many of them have been split open or crushed. While the taste of each of them is sweeter, some of them have been destroyed in the process. Those jimans which did not withstand the shaking were broken, but those which which accepted the treatment were able to withstand it are enjoyed and cherished for both their beauty and their sweetness. Hmm. It's like a shakedown. Hmm. Similarly, in order to make something of great value and beauty of the lovers, the beloved sometimes shakes up their hearts. Not all the lovers can withstand it. Many hearts become crushed or broken in this process. But those which are able to submit to the beloved's shake-up and who surrender to it are not broken. Hmm. Broken up. Mm-hmm. Instead, they are come out whole and give forth the sweetest taste. Hmm. Such lovers who have surrendered to the beloved's treatment, be it gentle or vigorous, are the most fortunate. In mysticism, self-surrender is the path of placing ourselves entirely in the hands of the Master, and whatever happens, nothing should shake our faith in Him. In so many spheres of life, we surrender ourselves completely, even to worldly beings. In this connection, Hazar Baba Sawan Singh used to explain that when we have some physical trouble... We go to a competent surgeon for help. After he takes all possible tests and x rays, he advises us that we need an operation. On this advice, which is only human advice, we agree to the operation and then surrender ourselves completely to him. Once we have agreed to the operation, we no longer make intellectual judgments, we simply surrender to whatever the surgeon says and does. We are even asked to sign a declaration by which we place ourselves entirely in its hands and are prepared to accept all the consequences of the operation irrespective of the results. The great Azur would then say, quote, you place yourself entirely in the hands of an ordinary surgeon, but you do not do so in the case of your master. If you can surrender to a doctor whose job is to cure our physical body, then why can't we surrender to the supreme doctor who can cure our soul? An aspirant an aspirant for spirituality has to make sure about the spiritual competence of a master. But after he has taken the decision to follow the master, he should then submit himself wholly and solely to the master's direction without any mental reservations. Only a master knows the turns and twists on the spiritual path, and he alone is in a position to act as an unerring guide. There is a famous couplet from a poem by the Persian mystic Hafez which illustrates the need for surrender to the master. Abhez was a professor in a university in Persia in the 14th century. He was renowned for his encyclopedic knowledge and his fast learning. Once he wrote a hemistage, half a verse. Each verse consists of two hemistiches That said, if your master orders you to dye your prayer mat with wine, do so. Persia is a Muslim country, and for Muslims, wine is strictly prohibited. Anyone who drinks wine is considered by the Muslims to be an infidel, and he is barred from the religious assembly. Just look at the daring of the poet. He not only says to touch wine, but he says that if the master orders, drench drenched the pyramid, a most sacred object in wine. The Semistitch resulted in a great outcry in the country, and everybody said Hafez had become a heretic and should be punished. The emperor of Berger was duly informed of Hafez's heretical statement and asked the caliph to investigate the matter. At that time, legal judgments were made by the caliphs who were masters of Islamic law. Now the caliph at that time was a very wise man. All sorts of pressure was put on him to execute or flay Hafez alive, but the caliph had read Hephaas's poetry and had met the great mystic. He knew he could not reach a judgment without first having a proper investigation. The people complained. What investigation is required? This is a clear case of heresy. Execute him. But the caliph withstood all the pressure went to see Hefez and said, Quote, I understand that you have written this hemistich. If your master orders you to die, your prayer met with wine, do so. Not only has it spread like wildfire, it has also produced fire amongst the listeners. I know in my heart of hearts that there must be some sound basis for the couplet, but I am unable to understand it. Will you kindly clarify it for my sake? On my own, I would not have come to investigate this, for I know that when you write the second hemistitch, everything will be clear. But I have been commanded by the emperor to investigate, and I had to come to you for that. Hafez said, I have another mystic friend, quote, I have another mystic friend who lives on a hillock some distance off. First go to him and do what he says, and then when you return to me, I will explain the meaning of what I have written. The cleave began having doubts and thought, quote, This man has not explained anything. Had this been a clear-cut matter, he could have explained the couplet straight away. But since he has not explained it to me, there must be something fishy about it. Nevertheless, he was happy that Hephaest had at least acknowledged, having written the controversial hemistich. As he was traveling to see the mystic who was a friend of Hafez's, he was thinking, quote, Hafez is a man with such a clear, crystal clear mind, and his poetry is the finest. But he is not able to reply to me by sending me to his friend. He probably wanted to gain time to make up some story to justify what he had written. Upon reaching the other mystic, the caliph related the whole story. He then said, My friend Hafez has said that I should come to you first and follow your instructions. Then he said he would expound the true meaning of the hemistage. The second mystic said in a rather carefree manner, all right, we will talk about it later, unquote. Then he told the Caliph to go to the house of a certain prostitute who lived on a certain street in a nearby town. The caliph got a shock of his life and thought, quote, What sort of mystics are these? One says to dye your prayer mat in wine, and the other says go to a prostitute. One outdoes the other at this dirty game. But since the caliph was under orders from the emperor, he had to carry out the investigation. There was no way out. As he proceeded on his way, he was deeply troubled, and his mind was filled with terrible thoughts. He was giving a mental beating to these mystics, calling them heretics, immortal people, immoral people, and whatever else came to his mind. When he reached the residence of the prostitute, he was seated in a reception room. While he waited, an attendant of the house came and served him food. By now the caliph regretted having come at all. He started shivering in his shoes, thinking, quote, I am in such a disresputable place. If somebody sees me here, he will say, look at this caliph, what a thing he is visiting. In a short while, a young damsel entered his room. He noticed that the girl, who was dressed in fine clothes, was perspiring from head to foot, trembling and shaking. Quote, this is not the behavior we normally connect with a prostitute, he thought. Quote, they usually come in either dancing or their own coat Coquettish manner to enrapture and entice the heart of the visitor. This set him thinking. The girl walked forward, halting at every step and trembling more and more. Sensing how nervous she was, he said, Don't worry, quote, don't worry, I'm not going to touch you, but tell me, how is it that you are in such a plight? The girl said, "Sir, I am the daughter of a respectable man. When I was very young, robbers came and plundered our street and carried me along with them. They told me to. They sold me to the owner of this house, and be, and because the prostitute you have come to see is away today, to be with the nobleman, I have been pushed down here to take her place. So far, by the grace of God, I have led a chaste life." I know from the training which I received in my parents' home and from my own conscience that this is not the right path, but I would rather die than enter this lane of sin. The cleave was filled with sympathy as he remembered that some years back there had been a robbery in his own house and his young daughter had been carried away by the bandits. Becoming more inquisitive, he asked, quote, Can you tell me about the town in which you were living? girl said, I am not very clear about it, but the name was something like. To the shock of the caliph, it sounded like the name of his own town. Then he further asked, Can you tell me the name of the street in which you live? She again, depending on her memory, said, Quote, I am not very clear, but it was something like. And it resembled the name of his own street. Finally he asked, Do you remember the name of your father? And again she replied in the same way, Sir, I do not recollect exactly, but it was something like. At that The caliph burst into tears as he realized that this was his daughter and he fell on his knees and said, I am all grateful to God Almighty that He has sent me here to save your honor. He immediately contacted the owner of the house and paid her. Whatever price she wanted for the girl's release, he took hold of his daughter's hand and set off for the hut of Hafez's mystic friend. Now tears were flowing from his eyes, tears of repentance. He was cursing himself for having doubted the intentions of the mystic. He was cursing himself for being so callous, for being so hasty to pass judgment on these saints, he said. Quote, I have been reading the works of the greatest of these people all my life, and I was led astray with the slightest provocation. You think that's true of me? (laughs) I have been reading, Darshan Singh. I have been reading the works of the greatest of these people all my life, and I was led astray with the slightest provocation. I should have been more sensible. I should have exercised a greater degree of restraint over my mind. Why was I so hasty to judge his? Why have I been cursing such godly people? How can I ever be forgiven for having such evil thoughts when this saint was performing the greatest act of kindness? In that state of mind, the caliph went to the mystic, fell at his feet, and asked, quote, I ask for your forgiveness. Apparently you had sent me to the house of a prostitute, but in reality you sent me to save the honor of my own daughter. We worldly people view everything from our own limited and biased vision. We cannot understand the true meaning of the words of the godly people, and because of this we undoubtedly go wrong. After the caliphs, sheds many tears. The mystic comforted him and said, It is all right. But the caliph said, Sir, it is not all right. I hurled so many abuses on you. I I had so many doubts about you. I don't don't know how God is going to forgive me. The great mystic told him, My dear friend, none of your abuses or bad thoughts have been hurled maliciously, but they were only due to your lack of right understanding. You have my blessings now. Forget all about this event. Suddenly, remembering his original assignment, he asked, quote, What about that hemistitch? I had come to you for clarification of the hemistitch, which I still do not understand. And the mystic said, quote, Go and ask my friend, Hafez to write the second hemistitch and thus complete the verse cle went with his daughter to Haphez, she prostrated himself, he prostrated himself at the saint's feet and related to him what had happened. He cried and said, Quote, "You are men of God, we are men of mind and matter. You are purity profoundcide. it is we who are sinful. You look at things from a high angle, we look from a very limited vision, only you know what you are doing hmm. only you." Know what you are doing. We always misunderstand you. This investigation has been an eye opener for me. I have learned one thing whatever you do, that is the outcome of chastity, piety, and godliness. He then said, quote, Your friend has requested you to complete the verse by adding a second hemistitch so that the people do not construe your meaning. Hafez then completed the verse. Uh-huh. The one who guides you is never unaware of the intricacies and pitfalls of the path. Hmm. The one who guides you is never unaware of the intricacies and pitfalls of the path. Whatever the master tells us, whatever he does, is in accordance with the highest principles of divinity. It is only we, with our limited understanding, who cannot appreciate their true meaning. When the verses had been completed, the caliph reported the entire matter to the emperor. The second hemistich was published immediately throughout the country, and all the fire and fury died down and was changed into applause and appreciation for the great mystic poet, Hafez. Hmm. This is the path of self-surrender. If the Master asks us to dye our prayer mat in wine, we should dye it with wine without asking how or why. But we can only do this when we are fully convinced that our internal beloved, our Master, our spiritual mentor, is the Word made flesh, that he has become one with the power of God and is in fact God God personified when we begin to personally experience the greatness of the master, when we experience the light and sound of God within, then gradually we gain more and more confidence in our master, more and more faith in our master. When a disciple first came to Hazur, the great master would say, take me to be your elder brother, take me to be a teacher, take me to be an advisor, and then when you go within, then you can think of me whatever you like, However, you like. Conviction is never based on hearsay, it is develops over time. But sometimes, just as people experience love at first sight due to past karma, some people have full trust at first sight. When that conviction is gained and there is no difficulty, it is only mind, matter, and illusion which are the stumbling blocks in the way of our surrendering ourselves entirely to the beloved. Just as we have the conviction that our surgeon is competent, we do not agree, argue with him about which is the best course to adopt when performing surgery once we have made the decision to come to the feet of a perfect master. We do not judge intellectually whether the master's commandments are right or wrong. We do not argue with him about the best course of a, to adopt. We simply surrender ourselves to him. Placing ourselves entirely in the hands of the Master means cessation of all intellectual wrestling. Surrender implies that we have to carry out His commandments without applying the touchstone of our limited intellect. Now, that is a difficult job because in our day to day work in this world, we have the habit of trying to judge everything from our own level of understanding. It is easy to profess that we have surrendered ourselves to the Master, but in reality we find that our intellect and our mind are always putting forward some flimsy excuse to keep us from fully surrendering. The moment we start applying our intellect to the Master's commandments, our ego starts playing its own unhealthy part, and that might distract us from the right path for at least a transient moment, if not for a longer period. We can see some reflection in the meaning of surrender in a mother's love for her child. A mother does not judge what is coming to her from her child. Because she is full of love for the child, she allows him to play as he likes. The child may be putting his fingers in the mouth and nostrils of the mother, slapping the mother and pulling her tresses, but the mother never becomes offended. In fact, she goes on kissing and embracing the child. When a mother is completely lost in her child... She is in a state of ecstasy and she allows the little child full play. Does the mother judge the actions of the child with her intellect? She treats the child with all affection and whatever the child does, the mother not only accepts, she relishes and enjoys. In the same way, a disciple who has really surrendered relishes whatever comes to him from God, from his master. The true test, the test of true surrender comes only when we pass through a, a period of trials and tribulations and we still go on saying, sweet is thy will if things are going all along alright with our business and our family affairs and everything is going according to our own sweet will, it is easy to say, quote I am always grateful to the master, I always surrender to the master, but our words have no real meaning, it is only when something goes wrong and we say Sweet is thy will, but our words take on real meaning. The beloved master used to say that when a potter shapes a clay pitcher, he always keeps his hand inside the vessel so it does not break while he strikes it into shape from outside. Similarly, when we undergo a difficult period, the master is always supporting us. If by chance we pass through a period of poverty or ill health or our public image is soiled, uh, we should continue to have full faith in God and the Master. Generally, we only have faith when things go right. And the moment we experience some setback, we start feeling the Master is not competent. And we complain, quote, Master has not saved me from this. We do not realize that the Master knows how we best can pass through our karmas. It is significant that the Masters say that during periods of poverty, ill-health, or ignominy, the greatest amount of our karmas are washed off. Our faith in the Master serves as a sheet anchor during difficult periods and saves us from the mental torture and depression that may come to us during times of tribulation. Surrender is the supreme state. It is not merely being resigned to whatever is happening. Being resigned to a situation means that we realize something is going wrong, but we learn to accept and live with it. Being surrendered means that we are so lost in our beloved that we do not have any idea that something is is going wrong. It is a much higher stage If we follow the path of surrender, we are no longer the doer. It is then the master who is the doer in our life because he is aware of all the pitfalls of the path. Once he becomes the doer, all our problems are solved. Our problems become the master's. Problems are always in respect to the one who is the doer. If the master becomes the doer, the problems are his. (laughs) Problems. Are Always in respect to the one who is the doer, if the master becomes the doer, the problems are his. then we do not have to carry any burden. Our master carries all the burden for us, but we are stranger, strange passengers on our life's, but we are strange passengers on life's journey on this path. It is as though we are travelers in an airplane to our ultimate destination, and the master is prepared to take on the burden of all our luggage. But while traveling in this airplane, we continue to keep our baggage and bedding on our own head. When the master initiates us, he gives us an opportunity to cast aside a burden. He says he himself will take care of it. But we do not take advantage of what the Master is offering us while sitting in the plane we still insist on, carrying our heavy baggage on our own head. <laughs> She'll let them carry the baggage if he wants to carry the baggage. She'll let somebody carry the baggage. There are two paths on the spiritual way. The Path of Effort and Grace and the Path of Surrender. Hmm. Path of Effort and Grace and the Path of Surrender. Most of us follow the Path of Effort and Grace. Master's grace gives us the inspiration to make the first effort. His grace forms the set first small arc and then our resultant effort attracts a little greater dose of grace which in turn forms another arc. Gradually, Master's grace and our consecutive effort continue forming small arcs till the circle is complete. This is a path of struggle, and sometimes we progress. And at other times we slip back. We climb two steps and then slip down, and then start climbing up again. Sometimes our meditations are fruitful, and sometimes they are not. Sometimes we are inspired and sometimes we are bewildered and in the doldrums. Only a lucky few follow the path of self-surrender. It is a difficult path, but if we are able to surrender, our life's journey becomes smooth and spontaneous. But generally, we first try hard to make progress by our own efforts, and only after breaking our shins do we come to the stage of self-surrender. Ultimately, to reach our final goal, we'll have to surrender. There is no way out. Sooner or later, we all must come to that stage. It is just a question of whether we take a long time or come to it straight away. If we succeed in surrendering ourselves completely to the Master, then the spiritual path becomes simple, and we bypass many a circuitous circuitous route. Under the Master's guidance, we travel by the shortest route. We reach our destination in the shortest possible time. and in the safest possible way. And there is then no question of any skid, skidding on the path or of slipping into reverse gear. Once we have surrendered, we have won the game of love, we become the beloveds, and the beloved becomes ours. Seems I actually read this in 2016, huh? I don't know. Now we read it again. April twenty third, twenty twenty. Hm. Hmm. Prior, really, previously read January thirty one, two thousand sixteen. <laughs> hmm. That's a good one we are reading from the book spiritual awakening by darshan singh chapter um, chapter 29 called surrender Darshan Singh is an authority on Surat Shab Yoga. He's an Urdu mystic poet. Mm